This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Magnet. And I'm Luca Dupuis-Meublet. And our topic this week is... Today, I have opinions on gadgets. Oh, sweet. Uh, but first, we have some follow-up. Yes, we do. Uh, so I have follow-up uh, about two episodes. So let's start with the quick one. And uh, it's about my last episode. So episode 144. When I was talking about my some of the updates that happened to my uh, smart home setup, I did make a small mistake when I was talking about Signify's uh, bridge update deal that I took advantage of. I did mention that it came with the bridge, Philips Hue Bridge V2 and uh, two A19 bulbs. But I looked at my receipt back and I made a mistake because while unboxing, I was like, hey, where's the second bulb that I got? And I was like, oh, wait, no, I only got one bulb. Uh, so yeah, it seems that I imagined a second one. But even then, I still think my opinion that I said in the episode that the deal was nice, that even if it was one A19 bulb that I got for more or less, I think like five dollars. Uh, I think overall it was a good uh, upgrade deal, nonetheless. Last episode, I was not around, as I mentioned, as Yannick mentioned, I was moving out. Uh, but uh, I shouldn't say I have opinions, but I have comments. Uh, I really enjoyed the episode. Uh, but a couple of things I want to add, more or less adds if I were there type of comments. I think that's <laughs> the best way to describe it. Uh, the first comment is when uh, Richard mentioned City Mapper as the app for public transit in London. Uh, and the idea here is just to give you an idea because City Mapper is, uh, can be used more or less around the world. It's a big competitor of a Montreal-based transit app that we like to mention. And I personally like to mention, oh, Yannick, do you use transit app? I forgot. Every day? Okay, that's what I thought. I wasn't sure if we were using other apps, other Compedia apps or uh, transit. But yeah, uh, the idea here is to follow, following on on Richard's example where you can have uh, your subscription, your monthly subscription inside City Mapper. Uh, transit is slowly but surely introducing uh, buying public transit tickets inside their app. I say public transit tickets, but they also that for uh, other systems like uh, bike sharing, the, like the system we have in Montreal, it's called Pixie. I think you can, uh, yes, you can call Uber uh, drivers throughout this app too. And if you are also using a ride, sh- uh, like car sharing system, uh, I know in Montreal we have a system called Communito. We also used to have uh, Car2Go, which is now exited the North American market, but you could use uh, Transit to uh, Log in with your membership and then use that. And for uh, now with uh, the Montreal Public Transit, uh, you can buy one time or a one day pass or no, excuse me, a one time pass uh, ticket. They don't have the monthly subscription yet from what I've seen, but it seems to be a limitation of the uh, STM, so the Société de Transport de Montréal or all the other ones around this area because I've seen from their marketing uh, documentation or like promotion of this feature that in different localization, not localization, in different like, region, uh, depending of the public transit authorities, you might be able to buy a monthly subscription via their system. A nice fun thing about their system is I know when you uh, use their system, let's say to bike, uh, to book a bike and unlock a bike using your membership. You also get, uh, excuse me, when you buy through them, you also get points back, which can give you freebies, like let's say a one pass, uh, a one-time pass to ride the bus or one-time 
fast to ride a share a bike sharing system like Pixie. So they're like really inciting users to use their amazing app, which is already amazing for uh, public transit stuff, and then just to go through their uh, platform. Um, I do hope at some point that uh, they would bring, like let's say I pay or work pays for my monthly passes. Uh, I do hope that they could work with uh, our local authorities to maybe transfer it into uh, their app or even like we've discussed in the past that uh, the Toronto Authority, uh, Public Transit Authority is at some point supposedly uh, about to support Apple Pay. Uh, I don't know if it's still coming or if it has come, uh, but I would really like that they do that because as I mentioned, they do that with other partners in different regions. Uh, another point that you mentioned, Yannick, was about the price of public transit here, <laughs> right? You were mentioning that the one-way ticket uh, when you pay your cash in Trois-Rivières is about uh, $350, if I recall correctly? It is $350, I verified uh, this okay. week on the bus. So just to give you an idea, it is the exact same cash price. So of course, what we mean by cash price is if you buy tickets at a machine or at the counter, uh, if, it will be cheaper. Um, so, but if you buy one, if you bring money in the bus and you pay for once, uh, this is going to be also three fifty in Montreal. But uh, while our service is not perfect, I can tell you that it is way better than in Trois-Rivières. And also, let's not forget, we have two waves of transportation. We have the bus, and we also have the metro here. So, just to give you an idea, that the public transit here is quite expensive, even in smaller regions or even big regions, because it's more than the same price as smaller regions. Yeah, I still think that there's like, it, it's more worth it in Montreal than it is here because the quality of the service is better in general than it is here. Oh yeah, totally, totally. Like uh, there's more users, that, which means that you can provide better service. But again, uh, it's still jarring to me. Like I was listening to the appeal, I was like, wait, it's 315-3-Rivières? I think it's the exact same price in Montreal. And I wouldn't be surprised that it's also the exact same price in Quebec City. And all those three... Okay, Trois is not maybe considered a big city. It's Quebec, but Quebec City and Montreal are considered quite big agglomeration in Quebec. Uh, and they more or less all have the same price. And even the monthly passes, they're more or less around the same price. Yeah. Main difference in Montreal is if you live in the suburbs, you pay more expensive because you have access to more services like trains. Uh, but Montreal people know that there may not be the best service out there, but I digress. One point before the last one is about when Richard was talking about going to Disneyland Paris. <laughs> oh my goodness. Like he was like, oh, you know, it's my local Disneyland. I was like, oh, so jealous. Seriously. <laughs> um, as I discussed uh, previously when we were talking about our photo setup this year, when uh, Tony and I went to Disney World last fall, uh we both wish that uh, Disney theme park were closer to home because for sure we would be like Richard and uh, up on the train that is more or less three hours or even driving three hours and we also get our yearly membership because I'm sure we would visit such place more than once per year or once every couple of years when it's as far away as Florida, for example. Finally, my last point, and it is about your comment about the train service here in Canada, <laughs> uh, because you made a good point about uh, VRI, VI, which is the uh, railway company here, uh, stop deserving your, our own town uh, in the last, I think, 15, 20 years. Uh, but everybody I talk to, and even I think uh, 
VRI officials are saying that they really optimize for what we call the Quebec City to Windsor axis. And Windsor is a city in Ontario next to the U.S. border. I forgot which is the other city on the other side. I think it's Buffalo. It sounds right, but I don't it does sound, know. Yes. Um, but again, the main problem with this uh, is between Montreal and Quebec City. That's literally where Trois is in the middle. Uh, the train goes on the south shore of the St. Lawrence River, not on the north shore. That's why... Multiple years back, Trois-Rivières stopped being deserved. Um, so more or less for non-Quebecers and Ontarians, so non-Canadians or East Coast Can- or Eastern Canadians, uh, what you have to understand is that the uh, Canadian railway system is more or less optimized in this most populous axis of the country, and it is really optimized for business people moving from Montreal. Quebec a bit, but from Montreal to Toronto. Like, the Montreal to Toronto railway is, like, super busy in the mornings and throughout the day. Um, when I started my current job at Lightspeed, uh, we used to go more often into our, to our Ottawa office, and the train ride to go to Ottawa is more about, about the same time to the same time than if you were driving it with the benefit that you've been chauffeured. So you can enjoy a meal if you want to pay for it, or you can enjoy free Wi-Fi if you want to enjoy free Wi-Fi. Uh, but again, uh, it's quite nice, and I really, really enjoyed this moment where I was using the train more frequently than now uh, by going to Ottawa around maybe two or three months. Like, uh, it's, we're going at least like three or four times a year. It was even more frequently when I started, but it started to go slower. And so then the team grew in Montreal, so we stopped going there. But all of this is to say, uh, yeah, our railway system is quite nice when you're able to use it where most people can use it. Uh, but outside of that, yeah, it sucks. It sucks. Yeah, the experience is actually quite pleasurable all the way to Toronto. And then as soon as you go west of Toronto, everything goes to shit. And like the... <laughs> The demographics of who is on the train shifts completely. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it totally makes sense, but it's still less than ideal for our train fans. <laughs> yeah, and I recall when you were talking to me about uh, your planning to go to Winnipeg. And because, I mean, it's a dream, but like, I think it's a bucket list item was to say, you know what? Um, the railway, historically, the railway in Canada was why Canada kind of exists or stayed like the way it is. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to do uh, historical lessons of Canada, but um, so in theory, you can take a train from the East coast of Canada all the way to the West coast. Uh, but it takes a, a shit ton of money and be multiple days. I think it's like a three to five days, depending on how fast you want to be to go. Um, and depending on which optimization you do, but it is uh, quite of a chore to do. It's really, if you do so, you really, really need to plan to do so. And even if VRI kind of offers it, it seems that every time I would look at it, it's like it's offered in like promotional brochure, and then you go try to find and book it, it's like missing in action. So yeah. one day we'll, I'm sure one day we'll try to maybe go west by train or fly west and then take the trains in that area because in the mountains on the west coast uh, i have heard great comments about the views and the uh, the views you can enjoy on those uh train rides so something to do at some point uh now that we are kind of stuck 
traveling inside Canada, quote unquote, that will stay just there. Another thing that's kind of related to that is if you wanted to go on the other dimension on like the Y axis, uh, and there's this thing called the Train Jam, which is a game jam that takes place every year around a game developers conference. Now, obviously, it was canceled this year, and it's probably going to be canceled next year. Uh, but basically, the idea is you start either at Vancouver or at Seattle, and you go all the way down to GDC, I think, is in San Francisco. So you basically ride the train down, uh, oh, yeah, and you write games the whole time, which is actually a really cool idea and something I would not necessarily be opposed to doing. Uh, it's just that I don't know when it's going to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds amazing. Uh, but all in all, my last point, really, really last point, was just to say that the last episode was really amazing. I learned so much about train station in Japan, and I would just like to uh, kindly thank uh, friend of the show Richard for taking my spot while I was moving. So thank you, Richard. And again, I like when you nerd out, uh, Yannick, about Japan, and I learned a lot of fun things i was always like listening to the podcast looking at the wikipedia article and yeah i really love i forgot the name of the station but the the one that is formed like an a and that is in the middle of nowhere and the last one that was a bonus pick which was uh on the coastal side and then with the nice picture that you were using as a background i think i've sent yeah, you Todoroki this, station yeah this one when you, you when you you post the Flickr image in the show notes and I was just looking and it was like jaw drop. It's a <laughs> beautiful picture. So yes, if you haven't looked at the show notes of the last episode, you should really look at it. Yep. Uh, there was uh, something we forgot to mention on that episode. First of all, I, I want to thank everybody who listened to the episode because I posted it in the trains thread on select button and a bunch of new people who have never heard the show listen to it so if you're still with us hello uh our topics change a lot from week to week so maybe you're not going to be into this one but uh take a look at our podcast every once in a while and see if there are any topics that interest you and listen from every once in a while we got so many positive comments about the episode that it's probably our most listened to episode of the show ever, which is kind of amazing. Uh, and I just want to thank everybody for their nice comments. Uh, one of the things that we forgot to mention on the show, and like we noticed, I think, 15 minutes after recording, uh, as is usually the case for things that we noticed during the show, Taito's Densha de Go, which is a train simulator video game series, is returning to consoles late this year. I believe uh, in December they are going to be releasing uh, the latest arcade version on PS4 and Switch with Ooh. VR support on PS4. Uh, so I know Richard is planning to pick it up and I am probably going to pick it up as well just because like Densha de Go into VR sounds amazing. Uh, so be on the lookout for that if you are a gamer of course it's only coming out in Japan so uh, uh, no I was about to ask that uh, will I be able to play it and I can like yeah got my answer now well s switch regions are trivial to change so you can still technically get it anyway but uh, it's not as breezy as if it was actually out here um, but considering Taito's uh, release patterns recently I would not be surprised if it came out here hmm um, next up is not something that is actually a follow-up, but a plug for something I did on another podcast. Uh, I was on Snexploration episode 44 uh, about super bases loaded. So if you want to hear me talk about baseball, uh, baseball, go listen to me talking about baseball. Yeah, it was my first appearance in like two years on the show since I haven't really participated since I moved. Uh, but uh, I made a triumphant return to the show and uh, it's a pretty good episode. So go listen to it if you're interested. <laughs> Uh, next up is some follow-up for episode 139 on BOS. 
Uh, I found out this week that there is a 68k port of Haiku in progress for the next cube. Uh, so if you want to combine all of your obsolete computing technology into one super mashup, uh, go check that out. Uh, I'll have put a, sh- a link in the show notes uh, to that port. My next comment will sound like I'm judging people building those ports, but sometimes I am astonished, I would say by the uh, motivation that people have bringing new tech to old things. I'm like, especially these days with the move, I'm like, I have no time for anything except the move and working this week and the podcast, luckily for us. Uh, and I'm like, wow, people people like find motivation in strange places and I'm always like wowed by that. Well, like last week, I think I sent you the link to uh, Joshua Stein's video about developing software for the Mac 512K in 2020. Uh, and he was starting a series with that. Well, he did part one, which came out last week. Then this week he released part two. And at the end of the part two video, his Mac 512K dies from uh, corrupt RAM or something. Like it, it oh, just no. doesn't boot anymore. Uh, so unfortunately you can't watch that. But he was in the process of writing an IMAP email client for the Mac 512K, which is fucking crazy. Oh yeah, <laughs> no. So that's one of the things you sent me before I got internet. So it's in my open tabs and I was like, what? What? So uh, I was waiting for internet to come back and then forgot. So I'll put it back in, on top of my list so I can watch it uh, later tonight or tomorrow. It's fascinating. Uh, next up is follow-up for episode 131. That was the episode I did about uh, cooking and being more interested in making food. Uh, on that episode, we talked about Bon Appetit. And there is a lot of shit that happened with Bon Appetit since that episode. Uh, to make an extremely long story short, there was a bunch of stuff involving... Um, people of color not being paid for their on-screen appearances, whereas all the white people were, which is real shitty. Uh, real this, shitty? Yes. Yes. And it was called out by uh, Sola El-Wali, who was a new, relatively new talent to the Bon Appetit roster uh, and one of the fan favorites. Well, uh, obviously she left Bon Appetit. And uh, her new show, Stump Sola, I believe it started last week on uh, what was previously known as the Binging with Babish channel. It's now called Babish Culinary Universe because it's no longer only shows hosted by Babish. Uh, So you can go watch that show. There are two episodes out right now. One where she makes 18th century macaroni and cheese. And another episode where uh, she is challenged to make a tasting menu out of items that you buy at the convenience store. Uh, So it's all real wacky stuff. And it's an extremely good showcase of Sola's talents because honestly, they weren't showcased that much during her uh, BA tenure. Uh, So you can go watch that right now. And of course... uh, like we didn't mention uh, the whole issues with BA uh, previously, but uh, a bunch of the talent from BA has left. And this week, Claire uh, from Gourmet Makes actually announced that she ended her relationship with BA back in May. Uh, I believe uh, more or less like most of the big personalities have left BA by now. Uh, so you should be looking out for them elsewhere on YouTube soon, maybe, uh, which is nice to see uh, because for the last uh, almost six months now uh there have not been any va videos and i miss all of those people they were really cool it's funny they mentioned that because uh tony recently isn't uh, really watching i uh, know not recently as usual watching a, like i watch a lot of shit of uh, car videos on youtube and he's watching a lot of food videos on youtube and these days he introduced me to babish so i'll make sure to mention it to him that uh part of the babish cinematic universe because he also mentioned that to me. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> uh, but then uh, that there's previous Bon Appetit amazing stars. So I'll suggest that to him. 
Yeah. Uh, next up for episode 129, which was about cloud gaming, uh, Amazon announced a new cloud gaming service called Luna. This is relevant for two reasons. The first is uh, Apple's battle with the streaming cloud services. So Luna is going to be available as a web app on iOS and Android, uh, which is real strange because we haven't really seen anyone else try to do that. And I have no idea how well it will work, but I'm very curious about that. Uh, the second reason it's kind of relevant wait, is it's... Wait, the web app is also on Android? I thought they were building a native quote-unquote, native Android. At least an app that can be on the Google Play Store and then only iOS was an official web app. I believe I saw both. Huh, okay. That I didn't know. Um, so that's reason one why it's interesting. Reason two why it's interesting is they are trying to apply the same channels uh business model as they are uh, through Prime Video. So on Prime Video, you can sign up for things like CBS All Access and other streaming services within the Prime Video app. And they are doing the same thing with Luna. So there's like a sub streaming service for Ubisoft games specifically. So you can sign up for the Ubisoft channel and play a bunch of Ubisoft games on streaming. I'm not sure why you would want to do that because Ubisoft games suck. But if you wanted to do that, (laughs) it is an option. And there's probably going to be more channels out on the way. Uh, So it's it's an interesting business model, something we haven't really seen. Um, Sort of tangentially related to this is um, a new Chromecast slash the Google TV. Is it Google TV or Android TV? I keep forgetting because they keep flip-flopping between the two. But anyway, I, the, I the think new... it's t- it is now Google TV from what okay. I've seen. Well, the Google TV came out and Google TV doesn't support Stadia. So fuck you, I guess, if you like Stadia. Uh, this it, is so weird. It's so incredibly weird. Um, maybe Stadia is dead. I don't know, but uh, that kind of sucks. Um, so there you go. And then... Uh, Last bit of follow-up uh, about episode 110, which is your episode about Battle Royale games. Mm. Super Mario 35 came out this week. Super Mario 35 is the 35th anniversary Battle Royale game for Super Mario Brothers, where you play the entirety of Super Mario Brothers 1 with 34 other players, and you try to survive the longest. And this game is fascinating. I have watched way too many hours of this game being streamed online uh, have you tried it out? I guess not, because you've been too busy moving. Um, I want to, but you're correct. I haven't had the time yeah. to try it. I, I'm sure in the next few weeks I'll be able to. This game is absolutely fascinating. Uh, mainly because, like, uh, obviously, like, I don't have a Switch, so I can't play it myself. You haven't fixed your problem yet. I mean, literally, the only two games I care about on Switch are Tetris 99 and Super Mario 35, and those games disappear as soon as I stop paying for a subscription. So, like, no, I'm not going to buy a console for those games. Um, But they are fascinating to watch. And one of the things I find fascinating about it is sort of the evolution of the metagame. Like, when I watched my first Super Mario Bros. 35 stream on day one, it became immediately clear that there was a dominant strategy and that everybody should abuse that dominant strategy within like 15 minutes. And that strategy is if you are low skill levels, you should just be looping 1-1 and 1-2 over and over and over again. Uh, and you have no reason to go on any further stage. Uh, and the reason you can do this is that normally at the end of stage 1-2, there's a warp zone. And in Super Mario Th- Brothers 35, there is a fairly high chance that you can go backwards in levels. Uh, I think this is an huh. homage to Super Mario Brothers 2, which actually also did this, uh, except it was to actively troll the player. You would go to warp zones and they would all be for backwards zones, which was a huge middle finger to the player. Uh <laughs> In this case, it's actually kind of to your benefit to just stay on the easier stages because otherwise the challenges are too hard combined with the bullshit that you get from all of the garbage enemies that are sent to you from other players that you don't actually want challenging 
platforming. Uh, so if you're at a lower skill level, you actually want to loop that. Uh, if you are Galaxy Brain and real good at Super Mario Maker and other stuff like that, like uh, many of the streamers I've been watching, you actually do want to go to the later stages because you're good enough at the game that it doesn't matter. You know where all of the power-ups are, so you don't care. And then you can just spam sending Bowsers to people and sending the stupid fish that get in the <laughs> oh way all God. the time. And the bloopers who are the jellyfish and spam other people. Also, the pro strat is you have to go on attackers targeting like for Tetris 99 because attackers targeting is just as broken as it is in Tetris 99. So basically... <laughs> Seeing the mind games and the evolution of the metagame has been fascinating. I, I thought, like, literally on day one, like, oh, well, they solved it. You just loop 1-1 one, one, and 1-2 one, over and over again. And then the streamers who spend all day playing Mario were like, no, actually, you you go to later stages because then you can just, like, shove all this garbage in other people's mouths and they have to deal with it. Uh, it's really fun to watch. Uh, there are a couple issues with the game. I think matches go on for too long, especially if you're very, very, very good at Super Mario Brothers. Um, so I think there's some tuning that could happen there, but it's typically not in Nintendo's playbook to patch these games after they're out very much. Uh, so I don't know if they're going to do that. Uh, I think I watched a game the other day that took literally 10 minutes for the last three people to die. Wow. Uh, so that was really, really, really long. And like, it could have gone longer, uh, if, they hadn't made a trivial mistake. So, uh, yeah, they, I think they could do some things to actually, like, make games shorter just because if you're really good at Mario, there's no reason for the game to end. Um, but, yeah, that's all I'm going to say for now. Maybe you can check in next episode. I don't know if you get the time to play. Uh, I'm curious to get your take on it. Uh, it's a real interesting game with a bunch of issues, but sometimes games with a bunch of issues are actually more fun than games that are perfect. So, uh there you go. No, I'll take that as a reminder. I'll I'll do I'll put it as a homework for the next episode. But yeah, I've seen. I don't think I've watched. No, I don't. I didn't watch any videos about it. But I've seen a couple of screenshots, and I was like literally laughing my my ass off because it seems infuriating and so funny at the same time. Uh, playing this game only by seeing a screenshot that. So I cannot imagine when you look at you watch people like playing this game. So. Um, I'll try my best and make sure to uh, play some or at least watch some videos so we can discuss it more maybe next episode. One of the things I saw that was really, really funny is once again, abusing the broken status of attackers targeting. Uh, like the streamer I was watching killed a Bowser. Ooh. That meant that six players got a Bowser on their playfield. They oh, all shit. killed the Bowser and sent it back to him. So now he had six Bowsers. He oh. killed the six Bowsers and multiplies exponentially. So it's oh, just no. like hilarious. Oh my goodness. So wow. yeah, attackers, attackers targeting. It's stupid, broken. It's real funny. Uh, I'll send you a video after we're done recording that you can go watch to see the the full extent of how stupid attackers targeting is in that game. Oh yeah, please do, please do. And that's it. Good. So I guess it goes a bit, uh, kind of end in end with today's kind of like long follow up section. Um, as I mentioned, I'm still busy with uh, getting set up in a new place. So I decided for this week to have some two light topics and they are more or less around the same thing is in the past month or so, uh, there have been a couple of uh, either announcements or releases of some gadgets and I found two. Uh, that I feel not strong. Should I say I feel strongly about it? I think I so. I, let's just put it that I have opinion. So we'll, we'll go through those two uh, gadgets. Is one of them the A7C? 
No. Oh, uh, I'm sure we can put it as a bonus third one. Uh, but yeah, I was kind to our wallets. Let's put it this way. <laughs> so just for people not in the know, Yannick is referring to the new Sony A7C, which is a full frame compact camera made by Sony in the line. I think it's kind of using the hardware of a A7. Mark yeah, the three. A7 series of cameras. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like last year's A7 series of cameras hardware in a smaller body. And Yannick and I are just draw drop in front of this camera. So, yeah, it, it, it was tempting. It was tempting. But after watching uh, the Diverge review from uh, Because and I forgot her last name, but it was just so amazing. And we spent, I think, uh, 30 minutes talking over chat when that happened. And we were more or less 30 minutes of us crying that we wanted, but it's too expensive. So, no, uh, I want to start with something uh, announced by Ring. We've talked a lot about Ring in the past few episodes, especially in our smart home um, episodes. And hmm, I'll start with uh, just the introduction a bit, and then we'll discuss more. So, on September 24th, which is about two weeks ago, uh, Ring announced their latest camera product called the Ring, the Ring Always Home Cam. And really, before I describe it to you, I really want you to imagine it. So what I'll do is I'll read a quote from Ring's founder and quote-unquote oh, no. chief inventor, uh, oh, no. Jimmy Siminoff. Okay, so here it goes. Something I frequently hear from a customer is, I have a few indoor cams from Ring, but sometimes I would leave the house and couldn't remember if I left the window open or and wished I had a camera there. End of quote. Instead of simply encouraging customers to buy more camera and set them up in more location around the home, how could we solve this problem with one solution? We wanted to create one camera that could give us user, it gives users the flexibility of every viewpoint they want around the house while delivering on our founding principles of privacy and security. Mm-hmm. So I'll let you think for a while about it. Like, what could it be? Like, what is this camera? Nope, not that. No, no, no. My ideas are so much cooler than the actual product. No, 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 not that either. No, no, Yannick, not that either. Let me tell you, if you guess a flying camera, you're spot on. (laughs) Because you're correct. On September 24th, Ring announced a drone with a camera that roams inside your apartment, condo, house, whatever you own. So the idea... And before I go with opinions, the idea is this drone (laughs) comes into a square dock. And it has somewhat a typical drone shape. But imagine in the middle center of this drone shape, which is rectangle with four propeller in each corners, you have a, a stick that like hangs below it. And this is where the camera is located. So Ring is saying that to tell our user how privacy conscious this camera is they've built two things so first the when you when the the drone ducks itself to charge and just to stay uh, idle uh it the, the 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 box the charger is is built such a way that the camera will go in the middle and be hidden which okay it's good you know like it's it's hidden, so it, in theory, like there's a physical object blocking the camera. Uh, 
funny enough, uh, in all the marketing material, and I'm kind of like spoiling a bit my uh, my opinion about it, but in all the marketing materials, uh, they didn't mention if there was any audio recording because you know even if it's in the box, it can still if it has a microphone, which I don't know, uh, it could in theory still record audio audio and then. That will be blocked. I didn't mention if there's something that will, as a, with like, physically as a kill switch that when it is like docked in, it press on a, like a kill switch button on a drone and kills a microphone too. So they just mentioned about, about, uh, the camera being physically buffed. Like, you know, like those small, like, like webcam covers. That's literally the way you can see it. I will put a link in the show notes. I'm sure I'm describing, but for sure, if you see the images, you'll better understand it. But the other thing they say, you know, to make it clear that when it works, it is recording is the engineer this device. So if you've been in the presence of a drone, a drone is already quite loud. But they said that the, the engineer did in a way said it, it is audibly loud to make it clear it's working <laughs> and that it's recording. And I'm like, I understand that you want to make it clear that it's recording, but... It is a fucking drone, and a drone is noisy. So I guess you just say, "Here's the pitch." It's a Roomba in the air. <laughs> yeah, kinda is the pitch. So kidding aside, though, the idea is you can configure a certain path in your uh, in your house in your household that the drone will fly around to just look around like a security camera or like a human doing a, a security tour inside your apartment. Um, and on top of that, they also add that when you define this path or you tell it, like you can define this path or can learn a path by itself, but that they're like on top of like as a security argument, uh, you cannot remotely control the drone nor like locally. It seems that you define the path and you let the drone fly. Wait, 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 wait. The scenario that he described where, like, oh, I don't remember if I had the window closed or whatever. Like, you would have to actually think of putting your window on the path for it to actually fucking matter. Um, Again, I'm kind of trying to keep that at the end, but he, uh, Yannick is, uh, is, uh, is hmm, catching okay, up on things, okay. right? Mm. Uh, well, but... I, I haven't heard most of these. Like, I, I know of the product. I've seen the product. Right, but right. I'm like, too busy to read the actual documents about the product. So a lot of this is coming to me by surprise. Yeah, yeah. No, so, so, and again, uh, one of the important things is this product is an announcement. So this is not out today. So this was like... Right. Ring announcing it that it's coming first of all in 2021. Oh, I thought it was a holiday season thing. No, 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 it's coming next oh. year. They, they, they say 2021, so I, I shouldn't say next year, they say 2021. So it literally can mean December 31st, 2021. And also, um, I want to talk a bit about the price, but the price is $250, which again, I'll go to this part already. Uh, $250 for what it offers. Yes, it may be a bit more expensive than a dollar, but kind of in the realm of not too expensive for this type of gadget if it works correctly. Yeah, it uh, seems reasonable. Yeah, it's a reasonable price. But again, uh, if you if we go back about uh, you dr- building a path or <laughs> it learning a path, plus the example at the beginning from the uh, chief inventor, um, 
it kind of doesn't compute. And the other example they also say is, um, it's not in that quote that I found, but it's in the marketing material. They'll say like, you know, people, sometimes they tell us like, oh, oh my God, did I forgot to turn off the stove? Which, you know what? <laughs> a lot of, a, you shouldn't laugh. Like, I, I don't I don't have this fear because I'm a bit anal about this, but I do know people that just forget and then they, they like about like three blocks away. I'm like, oh, fuck, did I look and then stress out and then go back and look, right? We've learned. The reason I'm laughing is not laughing at those people. The oh, okay. reason I'm laughing is you have to put the stove in the back. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, good. Good. So, yeah, yeah. So I was literally reading that and then say, but wait, they are touting as a security feature. They cannot remotely control this fucking drone. Exactly. So what's the purpose? So again, it, I guess the idea is you put all the things you are afraid you left either on or <laughs> open on the path. <laughs> because uh, another thing they tout uh, in there, and I, you know what, I'll, I'll make sure to put the blog post. Because they also say, you know what, because you can, you can control the path, let's say you don't want it to go into your bedroom, will allow you to control the path then it will never go in your bedroom because you want it to be your bedroom it could be considered for you or maybe your bathroom or your, your kid's bedroom is a no-go zone okay then we'll learn and we're not we'll learn but we'll listen to your path and we'll never go there which which is you know what from coming back to a lot of discussion around rings latest technology plus i read a bit more like we like not selling data to uh, police officer or police enforcement uh, but like kind of i've read a bit i won't keep that later but like kind of like deals with them like ring had a lot of we like a zone to be kind of doubtful of them uh, but then they're trying to somewhat make it good with their marketing claims here but it kind of doesn't fit the purpose of this product in the end which is i think the funniest part of this product um, overall, I, I do think um, combined with their security system, it could be a good part up if you don't want to install cameras. Maybe you live in a, an apartment building and you want to have your own security system. Uh, but again, you cannot maybe wire in cameras and stuff. And that could be a good tool to bring more security and then have security cameras without having them like not wired in, but like physically install on the walls because maybe that's not allowed in your leasing agreement so i can see benefits but again <laughs> um, first you need to start to, to, to kind of go to kind of skip the part of like everybody's trying to make a drone of something these days uh and then it's like okay it's a drone for the inside and then you realize that, yeah, but I can control it, which makes sense for security purposes. But then if I forgot to put something important in the path, then I don't see it. So we're back to square on where I either need another drone or to put a camera as I quoted. So all in all, I kind of find this product quite weird. This this product remind well the scenario you described where it's like oh I forgot about the the window or whatever that they described earlier is first of all it's, it sounds kind of ridiculous to me but that I think that's just because I'm not that kind of person but I I know there are a lot of people like that and maybe they see value in this kind of a product I'm not sure they would see it in enough of a value to pay two hundred fifty bucks for it but <laughs> yeah I mean. But this product and this pitch reminds me a lot of another camera-related product that sort of went nowhere by Google, the Clips camera. Do you remember this? 
The Clips camera? No, I do not. Basically, I think I'm the only person who remembered this garbage product that Google showed at Google I.O. one year and actually released at some point and everyone forgot about it afterwards. Clips camera was in the good old days of Google+. Plus. You could buy mm. these little cameras that you could like pin, pin everywhere around your house and it it's a f- camera that would randomly take photos of you and your family oh, yeah. in your house when it decided that it was something that was, should be captured on camera. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's such a fucking weird product. Yeah, <laughs> the way you describe it, oh yes. And, then they, and it, like the path just reminds me of that. It's just like, I hung up all these cameras around my house and I guess maybe someday I'll get a photo that's worth it. I don't know. Accidentally, maybe I'll get something good sometimes. It's just like... What a weird ass product, and this sort of has the same vibe of that, except like it's just their pitch that's fucking weird. And wasn't for this product wasn't there like an uh, a num- uh, like an automatic posting behavior too? If you decide you could just automatically post it to Google Plus, something like that. No, I think they were all private by the okay, way. But okay, but still, at it's, least it's weird. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's kind of right now. I haven't seen any reviews about it. Just like people repeating and just like watching what uh, Ring has posted on their website. Um, it's a type of gadget, you know. I, I think this is can clearly be described as a gadget because we these days we have all the tech. Like we have great drone technology that can like fly in out inside without hitting everything. That I'm maybe I I don't know too much drone technology, but maybe for the price it might be not so great. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised from even other drones I've seen like that it would do great and be reliable and like be on for for years to come. And then we have great small cameras, so why not combine those two? But it seems sometimes people don't ask the why should we combine those two and not the why not. And that's kind of why I wanted to bring uh, this example because while being moving and then scrolling on Twitter and, and I saw that and I was like. It literally like made me stop doing the unboxing and just like spend like at least like thirty minutes looking around what people were thinking, and just me being like jarred up like, is this really a real product? So you who knows like maybe it will never ship, and that's not what I'm wishing for Ring. You know, their business they need to make money at some point, but (laughs) this is a strange one. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Good, and that's what I had to say about the Ring Always Home Cam. So, quick reminder, if you're interested by it and you're already a Ring Home, for example, where you have a lot of Ring products, uh, this should come out in 2021 for the cheap quote-unquote price of $250. Uh, but yeah, for the tech, it has a 1080p camera, so for $250 for small drone plus camera, not so expensive. But again, uh, you have to live with the Ring ecosystem and the possibility of either getting a Ring device for free from your police officer, which means they didn't want to get the feed out of it, which that was interesting to also read while researching the drone again. Good. Uh, the next product I want to talk to, and this one is a bit closer to home. Um, for, I think, the last six, seven years, at least when I bought this product, uh, September is their month where they release their latest generation. And here, uh, funnily enough, it is another another camera-based product. Ooh, ooh, can I guess? Yes. GoPro. You're correct, my friend. You're correct. So in September, uh, GoPro announced their new Hero 9 Black model. And 
As you may or may not recall, uh, I own a GoPro 5 Black that I bought in the holiday season of 2016 and I, I reviewed a couple of months after in episode 58, which is a great uh, typical Luco doesn't know how to pronounce words, where the title is Bass is the Fish and not Bass, <laughs> but that's funny. Uh, so yeah, so Bass is the Fish, which was the episode where I reviewed the Beats X and I was talking about bass and not bass. Uh, and the GoPro Hero 5. Um, so yeah, so I bought it in the uh, early 2016 season, a merit more or less three months after it launched because it launched in September. And then I bought it in December, and yeah, I think in Black Friday, something like that, knowing that um, in the February, no, in January, I would go into Costa Rica and then enjoy the beach and enjoy the sea. So I kind of assumed it would be useful and something I'm talking in this episode. Uh, but since then, if you can count, 5 plus 4, we're at 9. So uh, GoPro released four new Hero Black models. Uh, so I'm, for today, I'll be ignoring all the other like side models, mainly because I, I like today, like that's the, uh, the product they updated. And I kind of want to go through the list of changes that happened in the past few years because um, what you'll realize, and that's... A bit of my opinion, so I don't want to start too much with it, but uh, I think GoPro is at the stage where it's a bit like the iPhone, where if you're a Dart fan, and I I don't know people, but you can see easily people on the internet that every time the new GoPro will get released, any small improvement to it, they'll see an advantage because they use it daily, blah, blah, blah. Um, but again, it feels that at this point, the big jump you would see in the first like one to four, five model, they started to slow down. Mainly because first the Euro Five Black was a big departure compared to the like the one to four generation. Uh, it was the first big change to its body. Uh, it first bring a touch base interface and also a waterproof case up to ten meters without additional accessories. So if you recall before, the GoPro was a small gray thing. You put it in a big chunky plastic case and then it became waterproof and then scratch proof and a lot of things Euro 5 dropped all of this uh, it changed a bit of colors and also brought touchscreen with its sign and since then you also see that that's where GoPro started to evolve from the original GoPro Euro design uh, on top of the typical year-over-year -year camera resolution, the hardware evolution hasn't really stopped. Uh, it seems that since they did the first, excuse me, first big change since they were four to five, it seems that they like let's not stop there. The five is kind of this part of this second generation of hardware design. Uh, if I can call it so, and then we'll do some small improvements since then. So. If we move to the Euro 6 Black, uh, GoPro kept the case itself, but uh, it brought GoPro to building their own socket on a chip optimized for their video needs. So this new SOC called the GP1 takes care of image processing and HEVC, you might have heard of HEVC from the iPhone, uh, video encoding. Funny enough, this also brings a better improvement to its 4K support. Uh, it brings a uh, 4K 60 frames per second unstabilized and also uh, uh, up to 4K, uh, 4K 30 stabilized. So uh, for sure, the first installment of the GP1 in the Euro 6 didn't have this stabilization because 
in the next generation, the Aero Blacks, the Aero 7 Black, the big, big, big new feature was uh, improvements to the SOC to bring a gimbal-like image stabilization called HyperSmooth. Um, so that was, there are not too much big changes in the Aero Pro 6 and 7, uh, but th those were more like typical year-over-end camera resolution, plus focusing mainly on uh, image stabilization. Eero Pro 8 brought the version 2 of this software-based uh, image stabilization system, aptly called HyperSmooth 2.0. Wow. And another nice feature, I think this is where, like, I think the Eero 8 Black, kind of, again, that's me kind of understanding the changes, they, the, the why of the changes they're doing, but they kind of started to realize, especially, like, around the Eero 5 and 6, uh, that's when the uh, Karma drone came to be and also died uh, quite quickly of uh, fatal of fatal flaws and was literally losing power while flying and that's also where uh, GoPro really started to really struggle as a company and one of the reasons you may have found out is that when like I know a lot of people that own GoPros but they're not uh, they they are like sports fans or uh, like like snowboarding people or the uh, maybe these days it's a bit harder for those people but they're like they're, they're what you will see on youtube the travel people like always like uh, jumping in the water with a gopro and showing nice pictures like it seems that those those small click of people that will always update upgrade every year start to be slower and not started to shrink. And that's when I start to see where people's like, yeah, people like, you know, you wouldn't know have friends that have a GoPro and the, uh, let's say they bought their GoPro 4 and they use it maybe once or twice a year. And even if it's still not high resolution or it's that small issue, but for their, like once every blue moon needs, it's fine for them. They paid quite expensive. They might have been bought in September of that year, full price because it was a new thing, but they don't have enough need to upgrade. And that's where I started to see a bit of that with maybe why GoPro was seeing slower sales because that's one of the problems they start to struggle with is they were seeing slower sales and all. That's my kind of, not understanding, but my kind of like thinking why that happened from my own experience. You can take that with a grain of salt, of course, but with the GoPro 8, they start to add features to maybe target the GoPro for not only the list, the action-packed users, because on top of HyperSmooth 2.0, which really is useful for action-packed users uh, to have a stabilized image without having like mounts and gimbals and all that fun stuff, they've added direct streaming support to common streaming platform. So with your GoPro connected over Wi-Fi to your cell phone, you can usually stream to Twitch, stream to YouTube directly from your camera, uh, camera on your phone, but like natively without like, it was really hard to do so. So adding more kind of the vlogger uh, sphere, like allowing those users to uh, maybe use the GoPro more frequently, whereas maybe right now they might be using a phone with a gimbal. Uh, so to bring those users with those functionality, and even on the Aero 9, I will, they've added, and I'll talk a bit more about that, they've added like GoPro original mods that are aimed as people doing vlogger with like 
microphones, light, like selfie lights, or even like bigger screen, bigger screens facing you so you can better frame your things. So for sure, with the struggling sales that GoPro has seen, my understanding is trying to find new niches. They've kind of cannibalized their own niche of like action pack users. And for sure to continue to somewhat be successful, they need to find new users in Amazon Work Company, which means every year you need to sell new hardware. So that's my small tangent related to the Euro 8 and maybe the slow sales of uh, GoPro. Uh, GoPros in general, but you can see with some of the features there, just trying to expand who sh- could be tempted to buy a GoPro for their needs. But do you think it'll work? I don't know. I don't know. Because like expanding into the vlogging space seems like a terrible idea to me because their camera, I'm not saying this to be mean, I'm just saying it because it's true, is worse than most other cameras you could buy in almost every way like it it excels at what it does in the action-packed action camera niche but like your phone is probably going to be better than a gopro your and like vloggers all have like at the very least an rx100 or something like that if not better like they're probably using like some alpha something series from sony if they're not using an rx100 or like a panasonic gh3 or something so like they have no reason to get a worse camera just because they can attach more stuff to it because they can already attach that stuff to their rx100 or their other big camera so like i'm not seeing it like i I don't think it's a good strategy at all yeah um i kind of i'm with you on this uh i'm surprised like because you know like my euro 5 can wirelessly connect to my phone so it was a bit weird that it was thought as a big feature for the A8 from uh, a year ago when I think they could have done that earlier. And maybe that's the point I'm getting at is I kind of agree, you know, like if you're already somebody that blogs, you might already have better equipment. Um, so maybe they're looking at the newcomers or people that want to maybe introduce themselves. They might already bought a GoPro and then it's like, oh, this, this is a nice feature to maybe get more usage out of my GoPro. But again, maybe it's part of the processing. I don't really know why it took so long for them to, uh, to do that because I would have seen that with the older ones. It feels to me that it could be also possible. Um, so we'll see. Again, this is uh, on top of uh, the uh, Euro 8. Uh, again, I haven't seen too much people say whether it's good or not. I have to maybe search more on this. Uh, but I guess it's just like a software gimmick. Who knows? Because I think like most people who aren't in the professional sphere are probably going to mimic something like... Well, if they're going to bother with big cameras or like non-phone cameras at all they're probably going to fall more into like a replacement cycle sort of like what i'm doing with my uh any x3 which is like next year it'll be 10 years old and i'm still very satisfied with my camera and i'm looking at upgrades mostly because i'm a tech geek who likes upgrades and who wants the better thing but like it's still perfectly usable and i think like that should be built into your business expectations of like what the replacement cycle of these devices are for non-professionals and then you've got like the professional people who are going to buy every single gopro that comes out and for those people maybe you should make the product more expensive if they're going to buy it every year anyway 
just so you can juice more money out of them. I have a small something about that later on when we'll talk about price because, uh, again, that might have started last year, um, but they are doing something interesting, let's put it this way, with price. But before we okay. go there, if you don't mind, I just want to finish some of the uh, hardware investment, but I think you're like, keep all that thought because I, I think you're going somewhere somewhere interesting, we'll, which will come back when we'll be talking about prices. The small last point I wanted to make is, though I can understand, like right now, as the camera makers are seeing, it's hard to compete against the iPhone. So I can understand that if you're trying to hit a bigger market, you might have bigger chances of conversion versus if you could focus on a small market that is saturated, you might have already reached the saturation. So you cannot grow. So if you try to grow a bit and maybe get like two, three percent conversion on a bigger market is better than a saturated market. Again, my random slash like limited understanding of business and my understanding of adding those features to grow a bit of the market. So uh, one last thing that I want to mention about the Euro 8, because that's, again, to go back with the Euro 5 getting a touchscreen, the Euro 8 uh, changed something on the body. As mentioned, uh, the Euro 5 got 10 meter waterproof capabilities without additional accessories, but it still required an additional frame to get the typical GoPro accessory prongs. So you know those two things that you might have seen from years on typical GoPro accessories and even third-party accessories are replicating those prongs. Uh, the Hero 8 Black takes inspiration from the uh, GoPro Max, which is the one, only the only other GoPro camera I'll mention today is the their three, 360 camera, uh, which has the prong directly integrated part of the camera body. So... The Euro Pro, the Euro 8 Black brings that, which means that right now, you buy the GoPro, you, if you already have accessories, you don't need to put it in an additional case for it to be mountable. Everything is in the case, waterproofness and the prongs, which I think for a usage standpoint is a big improvement. It sounds stupid, but even with the small frame, like you always either literally leave it in the frame or you don't bring it or you, you leave the GoPro so you're stuck with a big GoPro and the frame on the side. So really uh, uh, ergonomic improvement in my book. But one weird thing with the GoPro Hero 8 is that it regressed on one specific point hardware-wise. Um, it's an action, as we mentioned, it's an action back camera. It can be in, used in dangerous situation and those situations may mean it gets broken, like it gets dropped hard on the floor. And one thing that I always find a bit weird, but I've seen people with broken touchscreen that still works, surprisingly enough. But one thing that you hear from a lot of people using those cameras is if you use them in action pack scenes or like moments, always make sure to have an additional GoPro lens uh, available because if you break it you just swap it the gopro 8 made the lens fixed to the body which again i've seen a lot of gopros with broken lens and you just swap it and it's quite cheap to get a replacement uh, but and that's a weird part because 
if I recall correctly, uh, for sure, like go both three and four at that. I, I stopped my research at one and two because those are so old. But this has been kind of a, a big feature of GoPro is removable lenses and in theory, third party uh, lenses uh, that you can replace yours with that. So it meant that the GoPro 8 lost that. Uh, so it brings us to the GoPro Hero 9, which I think if we ignore the I don't want to ignore the changes in the Euro 8 Black because I think the 8 and the 9 are bringing me back to the 5 because if we were to combine those, they would be the biggest changes hardware-wise to the camera because, as I said, we talk about the prongs. Uh, of course, the Euro 9 bring back, brings back the, uh, the removable lens cap or lens. So you can change it. And on top of that, like I mentioned, I was talking, I will, I will be talking about mods. Now GoPro will officially support lens mods. They, that's what they call them, but more or less third party lenses. At a, and they will support, um, they call it, uh, the lens max mod, which is, I think, kind of a fisheye lens, uh, even better than, uh, even bigger fisheye fish eye lens than the current GoPro one can do. Uh, but of course it does mean that you can go back to your third party GoPro accessory makers and use their lens too. On top of that, uh, of fixing this regression, GoPro did one major big change. So all GoPros since I think the Euro 4 had two screens. Uh, before the Euro 4, the, the back screen was an addition. You have to buy a special uh, accessories that would add uh, the back screen. Uh, but with the Euro 4 and up, you would get a color screen in the back and a black and a white screen in the front to tell you what are your current recording settings. Are you using 4K60, 4K30, all that fun stuff. Uh, but with the GoPro Hero 9, again, to bring back more usefulness, uh, this also can be used for people, for day-to-day uh, -day GoPro users, but the front screen is now a colored screen. It is running at a lower FPS to preserve battery, but it is useful to help you frame your shot. So if you've used a GoPro, you kind of like either use your phone and then use the remote, uh, the remote, uh, viewer feature to align it and make sure it is properly framed. Uh, but that, if you know, the GoPro batteries has been all notoriously not so great. So using the Wi-Fi feature uses a lot of battery. So that's not something you want to do. So you might take like, uh, use yourself, like kind of fix it, like kind of aim it yourself. And then you always have like those like a five to 10 seconds of you aiming it correctly or attaching it to the mount. But with that, now you can see it from the front front screen like a selfie uh, and then align it correctly. On top of that, the, the, the case itself, the camera got a bit bigger, which means they're trying to fix one of their biggest problem. It gives, it gives you 30% more battery life because I didn't have the calculation, but it went from a, a 1200 milliamp hour battery to a 1750 uh, milliamp hour battery. So sounds about right to 30%. Uh, but yes, it got a bigger battery and it is also the first camera that got 5K support. So on top of all these big features, hardware features, it also brings 5K for the first time to GoPro. 
and of course uh, a new update to the HyperSmooth 3.0. This one's quite interesting because uh, I think this is going to be useful for like let's say people biking and using the camera, or even like if you use it. One of the user, the one the rare users I do with my GoPro is when driving around, not on the racetrack, but just driving around, is that HyperSmooth 3.0 has uh, horizon leveling. So if you're driving in the horizon because you'd want to be a bit uh, dramatic, uh, it will make sure that the horizon is leveled. So a lot of big changes. I think so. It's a, a accumulation of a lot of small changes throughout the years. Um, makes me think that, you know what, if you've, again, what, what Yannick was mentioning, if you're an, a geek or something that is, somebody that is really interested to get the latest new thing, uh, it is maybe a good time to reevaluate whether the GoPro might be your next new gadget. Because if you've been like me, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying I, cons- I am conserving it, not at all. I don't think my usage of my current GoPro is worth me spending the money even just for a gadget. But I was happy to see that even if the company was struggling, they're still trying to improve their best product. Like what made GoPro GoPro? Uh, they're not, I don't think they're trying to maybe just like sit on their laurels and do nothing. Uh, a lot of their improvement they've done in the past few years show that they still believe they should be doing like action pack cameras is GoPro even if the competition grew more intense in the past few years. And the GoPro Hero 9 is one of the examples. Again, I didn't try it, didn't play with it, so I cannot really judge whether it's better than the other ones. But to me, a lot of those improvements as a GoPro user kind of tells me like, you know what, like GoPro is trying to make it, to make the best camera, whether it is true or not in like technology speaking and then like review wise, uh, I'll let you Google and search the reviews. Uh, but overall, I feel that they're trying to be the best one. And that's reassuring from a company that is struggling. Um, because even when I bought it, I was kind of like, oh, well, will I get updates for this camera? Yes, I did. I still have updated it yesterday. The app still works with my old camera. So that's super nice. So overall, I still, I still feel that GoPro is still making it good for their user and trying to stay afloat as much as they can. Now, let's talk about price, because I think the pricing is interesting. Uh, first of all, not cheap, as usual. Uh, I'll also bring you, uh, I'll start with the US prices. So if you buy it from the GoPro website, that's where they have an interesting um, like pricing strategy, let's put it this way. So the typical price you'll see in all of the other like electronic shop you might shop around on the internet or not or physical store would be uh, $449.99 USD, so $450 USD. Uh, but if you buy it through the GoPro's website, you can opt for uh, for another option that is called the subscription option. Um, if you were not aware, GoPro has what they call GoPro Plus, which is more or less there are cloud slash Dropbox slash G Drive. So it's like unlimited storage on their cloud of all your, excuse me, all of your GoPro media. Uh, on top of that, it's an, uh, it's a accidental warranty. So if you break your, if you break your GoPro, I think it's up to twice a year, you can get a replacement GoPro for somewhat free. Uh, I think there's a, a bit like Apple, uh, Apple Care Plus, there's just, uh, an exchange fee. Um, I even took note of those exchange fees, sadly. So. I'll put a link in the show notes of the GoPro website. I'm sure you can find them. But 
it is $100 cheaper if you buy the camera with a one year GoPro Plus. So that's, they're still a bit vague about that because they do say that for $349.98 or $350, you get your Euro, uh, Euro 6, uh, excuse me, Euro 9 Black. You get a year of GoPro Plus. But they don't mention if you're like like a phone carrier, if you're stuck with it, like you need, because if you think about it, for it to be equivalent to the old the other price, you would need to stay with them for two years to of buying GoPro Plus. But I my guess is they know that if you buy it with this deal, that the chances of you keeping GoPro Plus active after a year is way higher than just you buying it full price. Um, and of course, uh, for that, it is already $100 off, even if GoPro Plus is 50 USD per year. Uh, for that, I do have the Canadian prices. So if I go in my phone app and you can, one thing that is interesting about GoPro Plus, you can use uh, App Store subscription services to pay for it. And it is $59.99, so $60 Canadian dollars or $5.99 for everything I said. Uh, on top of that, I forgot one other benefit on top of unlimited media storage and uh, this Alex X accidental warranty. You also get 50% off on uh, not, it's 50% off on GoPro accessories on GoPro.com and maybe more discounts if you wait next year to ch or two years, or in the next two years, change your camera. You might get maybe 10, 15, 20%, depending on which model you buy. So remember when you say like, oh, GoPro did like the struggling. We, we were talking about the struggling. It's, that's to me, it's like they are exploring different markets. They also exploring like what they can do with subscription-based services. Even if GoPro Plus is uh, has been out for a while, they are now combining it with a purchase and maybe making it cheaper. So to me, this sounds like uh, the Amazon, like you, you buy it with ads. Uh, so it's cheaper because you buy it with ads. Here it's cheaper because you buy it with a subscription that they assume you'll stay on for a while. Um, I also looked here in Canada to compare, uh, to get the, the Canadian prices. Uh, like I, let's look at Best Buy Canada and it was like $5.99. So again, uh, the GoPro while being a good product, and I assume from what I've read that the, the Euro 9 is also a good product, is not a cheap product. So uh, my maybe last recommendation is from what I've seen, if you're willing to pay this price, uh, either go on GoPro's website because I think the, the, the one year subscription deal is quite good. There's also another deal which is for $3.99 where you get uh, some accessory. I think you get the selfie stick. Uh, you get, oh, I forgot the other thing. You get another accessory that I forgot. I think it's a clip uh, when you can clip it about like, uh, it's a GoPro man that is a clip. Uh, and then you get a couple of accessories for $3.99. Good way to start if you haven't bought a GoPro before, I think. Or do what I did. Uh, I always know Best Buy, they always have a deal uh, where you can buy, I think it's like a, you get the memory stick, but now it seems to be included with the camera, which is a nice way, a nice addition from GoPro. Um, or it, it could be a GoPro only website. Uh, but you buy it, that's uh, at Best Buy, they might give you camera, uh, uh, a memory stick and then some accessories. And that's literally what I did when I bought it during the holiday season uh, of 2016. I took one of those bundles and just bought it, even if it was more or less the same full price. 
So that's mainly what I had to say about the GoPro Hero 9. Again, uh, this is one of the rare moments when we talk about gadgets on this podcast and I'm not buying anything and I'm sure, I, like I'm 100% sure. I just had to me, uh, those two work interesting gadgets that I've seen in the past month that uh, made me talk, think a lot about what were my perspective on them and that's why I wanted to share today. Cool. So if you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can find them at limitlesspossibility.net slash 146, or you can find the full back catalog of our episodes at limitlesspossibility.net. You can find the show on Twitter at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. Uh, I'm taking a break from Twitter, but uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sakarina. That's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And maybe next month I'll be back on Twitter. Uh, you can find Lucas via at Lucas, that's L-U-C-C-O-N-U-C-H-E. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.